Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome to my independence report. It's day, I have no earthly idea what day it is of the virus, but uh, it's been a while now. And, and uh, we continue to hunker down at home. And uh, so we're doing this broadcast from each of our homes. And so I apologize if the, if the uh, uh, quality sometimes fades in and out, but that's just the way it goes. And, you know, even, even uh, big time radio stations are doing the same thing. So, so today... I'm really, I'm really fortunate. I've ran into this gal. She was introduced to me by a gal by the name of Kathy Sutherland, and and Kathy um, brought her along when we were doing Martha Norwalk show, and it was like she i don't know how long it's been since they connected but kathy had this uh idea that she was going to connect with lisa and and rightfully so because lisa is just a dynamic individual and she's done a, a, a bunch of stuff that that is just amazing and i we've got her for the entire hour so i hope that you'll stay tuned and uh, listen to her because she's got a lot to say about overcoming obstacles and adversity and leading her best life. And she is in the middle of accomplishing all of that. Matter of fact, yesterday she did something even more extraordinary. So we have more to talk about. So with that, Lisa, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. It's a beautiful day outside, more or less. And uh, um, I don't have to go to work. I can't go anywhere. So I would just as soon spend an hour talking to you. Fabulous. No, that sounds great. And you know, it's funny, we don't live too far apart here in the Seattle, Washington area, but it's always, when I've come to your studio there, it's always sunny there. So even if when it's cloudy, <laughs> I think it's always sunny at your house. It's, it, it seems to be. It's, it's, it really is quite nice. I, I, I enjoy great. it. So, so awesome. That's awesome. very nice of you to say. Now, when we first met at um, on Martha's show, uh, and you started relaying your story. It's like, well, first of all, let me paint the picture for you because you can't necessarily see Lisa. But Lisa's a very attractive woman. She's very, um, um, very effervescent. You can see the sunshine in her eyes and in her smile. It's it really is is pretty cool. And and but it wasn't always that way for you. When you were a child, you had got you had some health problems, didn't you? I did. I did. Yes. So I was born with a, um, without a pulmonary valve in my heart and I was, um, adopted and I had really bad colic. And so the doctors could not get a very good listen to my heart, um, as a baby, but they, they knew something was wrong, but they also saw that I was growing. And so I was kind of closely monitored and, um, I kept growing and, and, and doing okay. And so, um, they didn't find out till later when I was a teenager and I started getting just absolutely exhausted all the time. My hands and feet would turn blue. Um, and, uh, so at that point, my, um, we, we were seeing some, the cardiology team at Seattle children's hospital, um, here in Washington state, and they just gave the most amazing care. Um, they went in and realized I didn't have a valve there and my heart had really just enlarged, um, to the point where it was causing kind of some other issues in my heart. So I, at the time I was doing some soccer, I'd done some dance. They took me off of all sports. Um, they tried to do minor surgery to, um, repair it. And that was not going to be possible. So they needed to do a full open heart surgery. So for, that was kind of through a couple of years span there. Um, but so when I was 16, almost 17, they said, we just really need to go in and, and do full open heart surgery. And so at that time, they found a donor valve for me um, and they had to use the largest valve they could find. So I had a 300 pound man's valve um, put into my heart. And that was just a tremendous blessing. Um, and because of the size of my heart, I still had to really limit my um, things I could do physically at that point, but it was, it was truly a, a wonderful blessing. Um, I had, I, Dr. Stam, who's a legend there at Seattle Children's Hospital took amazing care of me. And, uh, yeah, so I kind of went through some 
through some challenges. What is it? What does a pulmonary valve do? I I have no earthly idea. Yeah, so it it feeds into the lungs. So um, typically, people who have pulmonary problems don't get full lung capacity. Um, and so that's kind of one of the big characteristics of that. Uh, you know, if you're going to pick a valve to have issues in your heart, you had to pick a valve. The pulmonary one is, you know, smaller than the aortic, um, maybe <laughs> be the one to go with, but, uh, yeah. And so I, uh, yeah, so I, you know, it's funny cause people who have congenital heart disease, uh, that have had it their whole lives, you know, that they, they don't really think of themselves as different. It's just something that they've always dealt with. Right. And so, and, uh, and so it's just kind of part of me and yeah. And so over the years after that, I still had to limit my physical, um, exercise and, um, I was able to have my two children, which was kind of amazing. I had to see the I'm going to say it wrong, but the paleontologist, not for dinosaurs, but for <laughs> <I was pregnant laughs> women. and, uh, they, um, yeah, so they had to really monitor me. And, and then after I had my daughter, the team at the University of Washington said, you know, we don't think that uh, you need to be as limited. And if you want to try some aerobic exercise, we can kind of see how it goes. And so I started running. And so it was just the novelty of it. I felt so incredibly blessed to be able to run. And I started running long distance. And uh yeah, so this was um, 11 years ago, and since then, I have ran 25 marathons, 350Ks, and I was training for a 50-miler before um, they took it away with COVID, and I was at the height of my training, just like grinding my hips into dust, And um, <laughs> but, but anyway, so it's been a, just a tremendous journey. I run with my dog, my Siberian Husky, Sika. He just turned 11 yesterday, and he and I still run 50 miles a week together. I mean, he's he's a beast. He's awesome, and he can run much farther than I could. I won't be the person to find out how far this dog could run, but um, yeah, so it's, it's quite a blessing for me, and so just the novelty of being able to run, it's still, every time I get out there, I'm just super grateful. Well, how is the 300-pound uh, uh, man doing? Yeah, so I had to... Um, have a, had a couple of small heart surgeries and then a, another full open heart surgery. It was almost seven years ago, uh, because that valve had worn out and that happens, you know, for people who have, um, worked on, on their valves that worn out. And so I needed to get a new valve. Um, and so now I have, I still have part of his stint. Um, and then now I have a pig valve and I asked the doctors if they could please find very fast running pig because I am <laughs> just joking. The pig, I don't, um, uh, but the, I'm very grateful to have that valve. It was interesting though, for me, it was a little bit emotional. Uh, you know, I, I asked them, I'm like, what are you going to do with that valve? The replacement valve that I'd had from the donor and they're like, well, we're just going to take it out. And, and, you know, I'm like, you know, I just, I felt really emotional about it. And I don't know if it was having part of that tissue in me or just going through the open heart surgeries, but I felt like aspects of my personality kind of changed a little bit. And so it was pretty emotional. I just, I, you know, I was super grateful for that person and for them being a donor, um, for me to have that. And so it felt kind of a little bit sad in a way to just kind of toss it out. And it's funny, the surgeons at UW, he was University of Washington. He's like, you know, no, it's worn out. Like when you take it out, I'm like, okay, it's just, it's just kind of, it's interesting when it's become kind of a part of you. Sure. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting people who've gone through having, um, organs or, um, donated, that are in their body, they often have kind of a connection to them. Now, do you know uh, anything about the uh, donor um, at all? No, there really wasn't a lot of information um, that was left for that. But yeah, I just, they, um, somebody just on their, you know, driver's mm -hmm. license had checked the box that they wanted to be an organ donor. And I would just like to remind everybody that uh, since this gentleman, although he passed in the process um, or, or shortly before, and it was they were able to harvest. I don't know if harvest is the right word. That's a word they use, but I, it, it's, it's kind of like like harvesting corn or something. But but it, it, they 
if you have the opportunity, please um, uh, check that box so that your life can account for something else after you're done with your body. That would be that would be awesome if you if you could do that, because it obviously it uh, helped Lisa and it helped her have a couple of kids. That must have been a little scary for you. You weren't able to run or do any. And but but having a child, I've seen that process. It is body changing. It is. It is. And, you know, it's funny after my daughter, they were like, okay, no more. <laughs> the cardiologist was like, it's too much, you know, cause it does put a lot of stress on your heart. And, um, and so, but it's just, it's such a blessing that I have my two kiddos and, and, you know, so my, um, heart issue, um, was not, you know, hereditary. So just kind of a weird birth defect. So my kiddos have healthy hearts and, and, uh, you know, it's funny just as you, growing up with it, you just kind of, you're just like, okay, this is just who I am. It's just part of me. I've got lots of scars going all which way I joke that I have, I've got like a cross on my chest. <laughs> um, I've got a horizontal scar and a vertical scar and then smaller scars. And you've got a roadmap. That, yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. When I was younger, you know, it bothered me. Um, gosh, when I was like 16, I was kind of worried about it at the time. And now it's interesting now in my old age of 42 years old, I uh, feel that it's just, it's just kind of part of who I am. And it, I'll, I'll occasionally have somebody say something to me. It's funny because I forget that I have these scars because it's just mm-hmm. part of who I am. And I was wearing a swimsuit. We were Venice Beach in California and this lady walked up to me and she's like, you're so brave, you know, just to be out here with your scars. And I was, I, I, I had to kind of like look at her twice. I'm like, what is she? Oh yeah. You know, it's not, and to me, it's not brave. It's just, you know, it's just part of who I am, part of my, part of, part of my skin and part of my body. And yeah. So. It's, it's actually a badge of honor uh, because yeah. you've gone through so much and then to be able to start running and participate in marathons and to do all that, that that's extraordinary. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really a blessing. And it, so it's interesting. It's definitely um, affected a lot of aspects of my life and sort of what led me to, you know, my company that I have, it's called Girl Power Sport. We're at girlpowersport.com. And um, my company is all about encouraging goal-driven and active youth. And we manufacture um, active wear and that's all made here in Washington. And I, through that, I have a heart is my logo and it's all about just, you know, beating the odds, setting a goal, figuring out how to overcome that. And so it's sort of my story and my company's story is all one. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of become my mission. And through that, we donate to charity and we, we rotate the charities that we're donating to, but uh, we often are giving to Seattle Children's to the cardiology fund and, and, and they love that we give back and um, you know, the Seattle Children's just, they love it to, they love to follow their patients and see what they're doing. And, and so it's a great thing to be able to give back to, to them. Well, that's, that's awesome. By the way, in the uh, um, title of this little episode, I said, uh, your inner drive, inner drive is amazing. And you have lots of insight on how you can overcome whatever you need to do to become your best self. Can you give our audience just some tips on how you overcame the heart issues and, and all that you did when you were a kid to become, and, and, and we haven't even gotten into your professional side yet, uh, other than uh, girl power sport, but, uh, um, you had a long career in retail and you've worked your, your patootie off because you worked for Nordstrom and they, they make you do that. Um, what, what advice do you have for our listeners? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think that through the struggle, you realize what you're capable of. So whatever your struggle is, you know, you can use that to fuel you. And so I think I've found a way to be able to do that. And so um, I, you know, it's funny, I, gosh, I'm kind of old school with working out and it's like no pain, no gain. And, <laughs> and so you really, you know, and, and even in, uh, it's like you have, even if you think of it in a religious sense, you have to like go through the crucifixion before you can get to the resurrection. And it's, you just have to find a way to be able to work through that and to take that and, and find a way to help that help you move to your goal. And so I think, you know, that can be done in any aspect, whether it be business, fitness, your health, 
Um, and if, if you're trying to anything, anything you want to accomplish, if you're able to take that pain and that, um, and really look at it and really examine it and be able to push forward, you can do anything. How is it possible that you could do all that? Because there are people that when that happens to them, they're, they're suddenly sad and they don't, they don't work through it. How did you do it? Well, and there, there's been hard times for sure. And, and one thing that's kind of interesting about um, heart patients is that they often have anxiety. And there's a lot of studies being done right now about that. With, I think UCLA is also doing a study at University of Washington because heart patients tend to have more anxiety. And maybe it's the surgeries that help contribute to that. But uh, it's there and it's a, it's a real thing. And so, you know, I think... Um, I, I would probably be described as somebody who has like fi- high functioning anxiety where I'm able to do things, but I still struggle. And it's, and so, you know, that's hard too. that inner voice that's telling you, oh, you know, I'm just so worried about this or I can't do this or I can't do that. And, and, and how, how can you overcome that and, and be able to look at it in a different way. And, and so I think a lot of my journey is like, okay, let's look at it in a different way. And then also it's sort of, you know, that was sort of my lot. Like this is, I, I was born like this. And so there, you know, I had kind of two choices either just, you know, sit back and go, okay, I can't really do any of these things or, you know what I can, I can do my, maybe not, you know, I might not be the fastest runner and I'm not the fastest runner at all. I'm like kind of a, I'm like the tortoise in the hair. I'm like the slow and steady runner, but uh, you know, I may not be the fastest, but I can, you know, I can persevere and I can do it. Right. And so finding a way, finding a way with what you've got to, to really, you know, push yourself is amazing. So there's, it's interesting. There's another, another cardiology patient at University of Washington who, who sees the team of doctors that I see. And he has a very similar, um, heart that I do and has kind of gone through the same challenges, same pulmonary valve and everything. And he lives in New Mexico and he's a cyclist. And so he's really overcome the odds to become a cyclist. And he, when he has his appointment um, here in Seattle, so he lives in New Mexico and when he has his appointment at Seattle, Washington, he rides his bike. He rides from New Mexico. Holy crap. Yeah. To the University of Washington for his appointment. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because if um, the cardiology team was telling me that, when you look at his stress tests that they do there at the hospital, you look at mine, they're really similar in that because of our, you know, lung capacity and what our hearts can do, we can't push super, you know, fast, but we are super steady, right? So um, endurance athletes. And uh, yeah, and so same story for him, you know, it just, it's like mind over matter. And it's also what he's grown up with too. So it's like, okay, this is, this is what I can do. And this is, I can, I can push myself and I can overcome and I may not be the fastest cyclist out there. Right. Um, but you know, I can, I can still set my goals and I can still accomplish them. Well, I wanted to ask you because, um, I've had an abundance and when I say an abundance, I mean a bunch of surgeries. I've had my hips done. I've had, you know, I've had stomach surgery. I've had elbow surgery. I've shoulder surgery, but I've never had anything like heart surgery. That is scary. There has to be a spiritual component to you that allows you to go through that and to come out the other side. Because that, that would be, you could, because, you know, there's a, there was a real chance when you had open surgery that you weren't going to make it out alive. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, the, my first big open heart surgery, um, I was 16. And so, you know, it's interesting as a teenager, I don't know. You don't, you don't think about death the same way you do as an adult, right? You're like, you feel like you're like, invincible. I, yeah. Invincible. And I, I, I knew I was like, Oh, I'm going to be fine. You know? And <laughs> so it's a, uh, so I think it's interesting. It's, it's, it's been more of a challenge later in life. So my last open heart surgery, that was almost seven years ago. I, um, I, you know, I had two kids and I, um, yeah, I had more to lose in a sense that I was like, okay, I got, you know, I have to be okay to take care of these little people, you know, and I, I need to, um, but even then it's interesting. I, and I think, you know, even with, you know, where we're recording this during COVID and 
I, and I'm a high, I would be high risk if I did get the virus. So it'd be kind of unlikely that it would hit me, um, that I would get it because I am so healthy right now. But if I did get it, I would be high risk and I would have to stay in the hospital because it could infect my, um, the hardware that I have in my heart. Um, and so I, you know, it's interesting with that going on, I'm not as scared of death as a lot of people are. And I think maybe because when you've had to face it, when you've been kind of maybe closer to it than other people, it's like, okay, you know, that would be the, just the next chapter. So in a sense, it's not as scary because you've had to kind of face it. So, and you know, you, Kevin, who's gone through all your surgeries too. I mean, you're, you know, you, um, you, you, you're, you know, you have to face that fears too. And so it's like, you just have had to kind of overcome and, and persevere. You know, it's interesting. Uh, and you were part of this particular episode I'm about to address, uh, as was my sister and a couple other folks. And, uh, I truly believe that, uh, and what I'm talking about is we had the opportunity to interview John Edward. He's a psychic medium, uh, and he's world-renowned for what he does. And I really believe, honestly and truly, that that uh, what he talks about is real, and it's it's true. And, and, and so, you know, even if it's our time to go, we're not really gone. We, we still uh, continue on in some manner or form. Did you, now I know that you uh, had the opportunity to talk to John. What did you think? Oh, yeah, I was amazed. He's so intuitive. Um, you know, he had some amazing feedback on my daughter. That was all completely true. And, yeah, you know, it's – I, I – I feel like I, I'm a pretty intuitive person in general, but just to, I mean, I've, I've felt that from him. I mean, it was pretty amazing. And even, you know, you know, when he talked to your sister and the other guests that we had on the show, it was the same thing. They all had that same kind of experience. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a blessing to be able to kind of have somebody like that to pull in those connections from the other side and, uh, and just to, I mean, it was a, it was a really amazing experience. You know, there's, there's sometimes questions just pop up and uh, uh, that have nothing to do with anything. And this is one of those questions because we're talking about a little bit about spirituality, a little bit about death, a little bit about what happens on the other end stuff. I want to ask you, why are you here? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and I feel that I'm still figuring it out. And, and I joke sometimes and I, <laughs> sometimes I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to be on a different planet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, this is the one for you. I know, But yeah, so no, I, I feel that my mission is to share kindness and light. And I don't always do that every day. You can interview my children. They will say that I'm not always <laughs> kindness and light. Um, but I do feel that that's my mission. So I've tried to make that my mission in my work, in my, in just how I approach things and that, and I think that's your mission as well, Kevin, you know, that from what I've, we've got to know each other and, and that, you know, anything we can do to help support each other and help people with their journeys with spirituality and, um, just being able to love one another and to, and to, to serve each other and to, you know, take care of this earth and each other is really important. And so I think that's what has really drawn me to you and to what all the amazing work that you do is it's just such a great mission. And it's such a time right now where people, they just need that and they need that support and, and sense of community. Um, and it's just, it's really important. It's exciting for me to be able to work with people like you because I'll, I'll tell you, there are people <laughs> that look at me like I'm a little bit off. Because, but what my philosophy is really pretty simple, and that is that we're all one, and that we need to support each other, and that we can get through this together. We don't have to yell and scream at each other. We can help each other get through stuff, and that's kind of the the vein of my independence report. And and that's why I'm drawn to people like you. And when we first met, I was drawn to you immediately. Now now. It's, it's set aside the fact that you're an attractive young lady, um, uh, but but I was drawn to your energy. Do you know what that means? 
Oh, yes. Yes. And I, you know, I totally believe that I was drawn to your energy. And you talk a lot about energy on my independence report. And so there's many, many episodes that go through that. And I think that that's really what we are, right? We are energy and how our energy um, interacts with others. And that affects everything. You know, it affects business, it affects relationships, it affects everything. And so that is really important for sure. I, and I want to address that a little bit because what, what happened in your career was you, well, you graduated from high school and then what'd you do after that? Yeah. So I, I graduated, um, I, I graduated a year early and I kind of branched out to wanted to just kind of, you know, it's it crazy because I just had open heart surgery and, and just was ready to kind of like just move and, and start new things. I was working for Nordstrom at the time I um, and going to school and I did not finish my college degree, which is probably one of my kind of regrets. Um, the reason why was because I was on this track to like, I wanted to be a buyer for Nordstrom. That's all I wanted to do. And so I moved around a lot with the company. I worked at gosh, 11 of their stores. Wow. Um, and back in the day, they used to pay to move managers. Um, you probably remember that, Kevin, um, yep. through your... Yeah, your adventures and your family through Nordstrom as well. And so, yeah, so I, I was just really driven. And so I, that's what I wanted to do. And it's, so it's kind of interesting. I like never took time off. <laughs> just They say I used to come in with housekeeping. I would come in so early, you know, stay late. I My favorite thing was really being on the floor and working with people. And I did enjoy being a buyer, but I missed that kind of interaction. And I would, even as a buyer, I would, um, uh, Nordstrom moved me back here to Seattle and their downtown store is their buying offices above the store. And so I, I would go down to the sales floor just to talk to people. And, you know, it, I, I love that kind of interaction. I was the kind of manager who I'd come in early so I could get everything ready so I could be on the floor with my salespeople and just sell. And I, I loved hearing people's stories. Um, I started in women's, but I um, spent most of my time in the children's and I just loved working with the kids, um, hearing people's stories and the kiddos stories. They're just so hilarious and kind of seeing all those smiles. And so that's kind of, I was really drawn to that. And so, in fact, when I became a buyer, my manager at the time, um, Matt Sanders, who hired me, God bless him. He's like, okay, we're going to try and take your giant personality and shove it in a cubicle and see what happens. I'm like, okay, see what happens. And so, yeah, so that, uh, and I did enjoy buying, but I really, I mean, my main love was just working with people. Well, you know, I learned when I was, uh, working at Nordstrom for a brief period of time because my dad was a mucky muck. He was, he was, he was an upper, upper management guy. And he used to come in to the department. I was in ladies' shoes. And he used yeah. to come in and, and the managers would run around, Mr. McDonald's coming, Mr. McDonald's coming. Okay, we got to get everything right. We got to get everything perfect. And I didn't know until that time that the buyer is really the buyer, that you are, you are paid to pick the, the uh, type of uh, wardrobe that you're going to uh, present in your department, and you're going to go buy it, and it's, it's all dependent upon you. Is that how your department worked? Oh, yeah. Yep, exactly. And it's a really stressful job. Um, you have an open to buy that you have to manage every day. And, you know, so you have your stores that you buy for and you go to markets, so you go to LA market and New York. Um, some, some areas would go to international markets too, but in kids, we just did those. And yeah, so you're, you know, you're responsible for making that mix of product be right for each store. Um, the smaller stores were always a challenge, you know, especially when you, especially with buying children's because you'd have to cover everything from socks to underwear to fancy dress to, you know, to all kinds of stuff. And so it, it's a challenge. It's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, right? So you've got, okay, this is the dollars I have. How can I make this work? You know, I had really close relationships to my stores too. And so I was always talking to my managers and, okay, what do you need? What can I support you with? And, and so sometimes we would buy things specific for certain stores as well. So I had, in Denver, they had a big tennis community, and so we would always buy them lots of tennis, 
lots of, we, I worked with this like fabulous little company in Tennessee called Little Miss Tennis. And they used to send me ribs every year for Christmas. It was fantastic. But they, <laughs> they, you know, so you would have to buy for each store specifically. And uh, yeah. And so it was a fun job. It was super stressful. I was gone all the time. Um, but I did really enjoy it. I just, uh, once I had my son, I just was like, you know what, I can't do these nine day New York trips. I just, really want to be with him and and so i had to kind of make a change it's tough when you're on the road i'll never forget the when i decided to come off the road i was at a, at a motel six in Salem springs arkansas at the second floor because i wouldn't stay on the first floor because after all it is arkansas and they got all kinds of bugs and snakes and spiders <laughs> and all kinds of stuff so i would hang out there on the second floor uh watching it was a tuesday night i was watching cnn ordering room service from mcdonald's and i'm going this is quite the life you've carved out for yourself right. here. And, yeah. and, yeah. and like, hard on the road, right? Kind of lonely. And yeah, yep. it's, it's a tough, it's a tough gig. Well, and, and also about that time we had the uh, great big uh, um, um, earthquake here. And, yeah. and I couldn't get through, uh, to find out if my family was okay. And it was like a seven point or 6.9, uh, earthquake, which is significant. And I just decided at that point, and besides I had a 12 year old and a nine year old, and it was like, no, I need to stay home and be with these, with these kids and to help them, you know, sort out their, their life and, and, uh, and stuff. So I understand it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing. So yeah. you decided to leave Nordstrom. How, what, what decided you to embark upon a entrepreneurial career? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So after that I did some things on the side. So I, I nannied, I did some, um, I worked in the restaurant industry a little bit too on the side, which I loved. And, you know, that's interesting because that's kind of one big connection with you and I, I mean, I, I honestly, like my most favorite job probably just out of being fun would be bartending and serving because it's like, you get to be a different actor every night and it's different people every night, you know? Um, but, uh, so I would do that on the side too. I could, when my kiddos are really little after they go to bed, I could go in and, um, helped with some wine buying and wine selection for this great little place. And so I did some things on the side and I, I, it's funny. I keep, I often go back to that because, uh, it, it was just, it's a kind of a magical time for me. Um, just, I love the physicality of working on your feet and serving people. I just, I love it. And so after that, I, um, we'd had like this huge snow in Seattle. Gosh, I was kind of struggling a lot financially, but at that point I was divorced with two little kids and like working like three jobs and trying to figure everything out. And I'm like, okay, I just need to go back to buying because I'm good at it and I can make decent money. Um, and at the time there was a new company um, in town called Zoo Lily. So um, Zoo Lily, they were one of the original flash sites and uh, they were hiring a bunch of ex Nordstrom buyers because we worked extremely hard and, and had a lot of connections. And so they hired me and that really prepared me for being an entrepreneur. So they had a whole different way of buying where it, where we didn't buy anything up front. We only bought what customers sold. And so trying to convince people to freeze their inventory, to work with us, we would spend all day on the phone, cold calling all day. Um, and, and then, going to shows, begging people to work with us. And that was extremely humbling, especially coming from Nordstrom where everybody liked us and everybody wants to work with Nordstrom. Um, and so coming to the other side where it's like, this is a new thing and we're not really going to buy your product. And um, this is who we are. And people would hang up on me. I mean, all the time. <laughs> and it, was a, it was a tough, tough job. Um, but we learned so much. And so one thing I noticed when I was there, I was like, oh, you know, this whole activewear thing is really growing. And it was kind of the beginning of athleisure and Lululemon and all of those guys. And so I kind of just took it upon myself and was like, hey, I want to be the sports buyer. Then they assigned it to me and I just ran with that and really grew that category. And I would buy everything from lacrosse apparel to equestrian to soccer to 
um, working with like bigger accounts like Fila and Puma and that kind of thing as well. And I noticed this sort of niche market with gymnastics and there wasn't enough product out there in that category. And it was really growing. And also I noticed that people were more patriotic when it came to gymnastics, probably due to the Olympics and that they're willing to pay a little bit more for made in the USA products. And so, um, Zulily, when I, I started having kind of some pretty bad anxiety when I worked there and I just really needed kind of a reset. And so when I left Zulily, I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? I interviewed at Amazon. I was going to do like a sports job there. They were going to pay me lots of money, but I'm like, you know what? It's just not quite quite what I want to do. And I'm like, you know what? I just want to start this business. And my husband, God bless him, was really supportive and and I said, I know I can, I know I can make money selling leotards in my, and then I can grow it to activewear, but I know I could start there. And so I decided I wanted to make the products in the U S we started in Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, you know, there again, like it was really interesting working on that end of it and calling people again and just hearing no all the time. <laughs> so it's like, um, uh, my first trade show I went to, um, I guess it wasn't our first, but our first really big show, we went to magic in Las Vegas, Nevada. And so those of you in the fashion industry, you know, all about magic, but it started out as a men's show and it expanded and it's literally like the whole strip. So it's like convention center, all the big, um, you know, casinos have their conventions inside there and those would be filled with product and it's just like the big thing. And so everybody goes there and it's super expensive to have a booth. And my first time going there, I, um, you know, we'd spent all this money and it was, and, and we didn't recoup the costs right away. And it was super sad and just really overwhelming. And, uh, but those connections, you know, led to things. And so, we launched the business on July 4th, 2015. And so we're almost five years here and it has been a roller coaster. But some of those connections that we made at Magic, you know, four years ago have finally played off and so paid off. So we've got now we work with Macy's and that was a connection that I made there. And so being an entrepreneur is just all about persistence. It's like running a marathon. You just have to continually like beat yourself up and train and train and like tell yourself every day, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And, and, um, we have, you know, continue to grow the business and we've grown it organically. Um, now we make all of our products in Washington state. And, uh, so it, it's been, it's been an adventure. It's so funny. Cause I thought, okay, I know everything because I've worked on the retail side for so long, but I quickly came to learn that I knew nothing about manufacturing. <laughs> and so it was, it was definitely a big, a big journey for sure. Well, I got a question for you because, um, in, in my work experience in my life, it was it's it was weird because at one time I was a general manager of a major property is like a three million dollar a year property. And in those days, that was quite a little bit of money. I had 75 people uh, work for me, a, a management staff of five. And uh, I was the guy. If you needed something, you came to me. And uh, if you had a problem with the manager, you came to me. I was the guy. And just like you were when you were traveling to New York on behalf of Nordstrom's and people were taking you out to dinner and people were excited to see you because they wanted to sell their product line into your um, into into the Nordstrom family. And um, and then to go from that, I went personally, I went from having all these people that reported to me to being a salesperson and nobody gave a damn about whether or not right. I lived or died. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> How did you handle that? Cause that's tough. Yeah, that's tough. How did you handle it, Kevin? I mean, that is tough. I, I, there were more than one time. I'll never <laughs> forget this one time. We had a good friend of ours that came over to our house occasionally. And, uh, this is after I'd, uh, I'd gone to work as a food salesman after being, uh, in the, in the restaurant business so much. And, and he made an offhanded, which he always did, and it wasn't anything special, an offhanded, uh, uh, derogatory comment to me. And I lost it. I went up, I went upstairs to my room and I cried like incessantly because my life had 
completely changed. It was, I was the guy and now nobody cared whether, like I said, whether I lived or died. And, uh, it was, it was really hard and it's continued throughout my career. Cause now I'm, a, I, because when I was in the restaurant business, you didn't force anybody to come there. They came there to get drinks, to have food. And when I was a bartender, it was wonderful. I and had great fun doing all of that. And my last job that I've got now is, uh, uh, as a bartender or excuse me, as a bus driver and nobody cares. They just want to get to where they're going and they don't care about you in any way, shape or form. And it, it changes you. It, yeah. it, it makes it really hard for you to keep your self-esteem and to keep going and to keep plodding along and to, to go from where you were at Nordstrom to becoming an entrepreneur and then having people slam the door in your face every day. How did you, how did you keep your, your sanity? Yeah, you know, it's definitely, I've said, you know, it's funny, being an entrepreneur has brought me to my knees more than anything else, maybe like being a mother also, but um, (laughs) (laughs) well, being the mom thing, we'll talk about that another time. (laughs) Equally hard, for sure. And uh, yeah, and so I think it has just taught me humility over and over and which is good, which is good. (laughs) But it's definitely, um, I guess I like torture. No, I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely, you know, you have to be able to brush it off and go to the next thing. And I think that is the hard thing. You can't let it, like when you get that rejection, you can't let it really get to you. And we've had, we've had some rejections. I mean, I probably my most painful hands down was, you know, I feel like I grew up at Nordstrom and. I just love the company. And so I worked extremely hard to get my product into their stores. And I like funny stories, like sneaking samples into the building and all kinds of stuff. And so I finally, they carried my products and they sold them. Um, But we were small and some of my styles weren't at at the higher percentage of selling that they were wanting it to be. And, and uh, they, you know, called me and said, you know, we're just, we're going to just discontinue your brand. And I'm like, what about like, can we just pick, you know, the best styles? And you're like, no, you know, we're kind of focusing on different things now. And, um, and I, I mean, that was pretty devastating to me. And I just felt like, where are we going to go from here? And, I'd worked so hard and it just felt like such a slap in my face after kind of everything that I'd been through with Nordstrom and I just, I'm and and business is business and I get it. I get it. Like, uh, you know, in my mind, I understand kind of, um, you can't help you honestly, you can't help but take it personally. I did take it personally. I mean, I did. And I was a little like in a bit of a depression about it. And it, it took a little bit of time for me to go, okay, you know, let's pick it back up. And, and, and then it kind of, what I try to do is I go, okay, what's the miracle? Where's the miracles today? And look for those little things. Cause that really just really knocked me down, especially because we were drop shipping for them. And so, which means um, they did buy some stuff up front too, but at that time we were just shipping direct to their customers. And so I held all the merchandise for them. And so I had a lot of product in those styles the inventory that I, so when they canceled, it was really hard financially as well, because I had made all this product for them. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was really devastating. And so once, once I could kind of get out of that fog, it was like, okay, let's just start with the little things. And you know what, today, this little store in Ohio, they just placed a small order and they really like my products. And, you know, this customer on Instagram just commented, like, they just, love what the brand stands for and her daughter gets a sense of power and um strength from my product okay that's awesome right and so it's like looking for those little things and sometimes it's hard to see when you're when you get knocked down or you know you find you have a horrible health thing you're going through or um or you have a huge financial loss or or something bad that hits you um you know you talk about this on your show a lot kevin on my independence report of you know, these things happen. And so how, how to kind of pick yourself up and, and keep going. You know, it's interesting because you're, you're right. It's, it, it can be devastating when something that you put together, like, like your brand, which is girl power sport, 
and you've done all all that work and you're they hang you with inventory and and you've got nowhere to go with it and and then it causes you to really doubt yourself and there are a lot of people who cannot get through that doubt they 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 tend to believe that that's what they are and not good enough and so they either quit or they they lose their their ambition or what was it about you that would not allow yourself to and yeah you go through ups and downs but there was something about you that would not allow yourself to quit what was it yeah you know i think for me i just have kind of two things my business is my story and so it's personal if so it's a personal thing for me like it has to succeed because it's my story and it's my you know it's like my calling so there's that so it's more than a job to me it is like this is this is my passion i also design all the product too so and we do i design most of the prints as well so it's very it's super personal like we put the heart in my logos i have a print of my my siberian huskies it's it's you know so it's it's an emotional connection to my business so it's like i can't quit um and it kind of comes it reminds me of you know it's interesting when you run marathons and when you do the training there's just this moment when you tell your mind, I can overcome this, even when everything is stacked against you. You know, it's like you're, you're like, you can't move your legs, right? Like you're not breathing, but you find a way to overcome that and move on. And so I think that's one thing that being an endurance athlete has really taught me is that you can overcome things in your mind. And so, um, you know, I think with my business, and even like, you know, it's interesting, I, with what's going on with COVID and applying for um, the different, uh, it's so confusing for all you business owners out there, the PPP and EIDL and all of that. And looking at that loss of business from when Nordstrom cut our product and like how slowly it had to be built back up. <laughs> it's really sad. It's really sad. Um, but, but you know what? It's like, okay, yeah there's always going to be somebody and no matter if you are an entrepreneur or not, but if you're, you know, working at a company, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't believe in you, who thinks that you're not capable there. There's doesn't matter what you do. There's going to be somebody. And so, you know, it, you have to be able to like tell yourself, no, that they're not right. Right. So it's like, okay, it might not have been right for Nordstrom. And I actually still think it is, but that's okay. But they, <laughs> Um, but they let's let's say it's not right for them. Damn those people anyway. <laughs> I know I do love Nordstrom, I do. But um, but it may not have been right for them, but it's gonna be right for somebody else, right? And so I still believe in it enough that I know that it it will. And I and it's funny, I've done a lot of side jobs on the side. I've bartended on the side and done some things on the side to help, you know, and the reality is you gotta pay your bills, right? And so I always pay my people, my sellers and all of them. And so sometimes it's hard to pay myself and because there is ebbs and flows to the business. And and that's true of any business. And so it's uh so it's definitely a journey. But I think I believe so strongly in it that I just I know it will succeed. Um and you know, I think I, I listen to a lot of inspirational people like my independence report and Tony <laughs> Robbins you know, and my let, those kind of people that, you know, they talk so much about businesses um quitting before they actually get the momentum going. And so yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, and there's only, I can't remember, it's like less than 3% of women-owned businesses reach over a million dollars in um, in revenue. And, you know, I think a lot of that is, is like what we think we're worth. And so I, that has been kind of my emotional sort of struggle is to go, okay, I'm actually worth success, right? Like I deserve mm-hmm. to be successful. And that's been a hard thing because I think I, I can be really hard on myself. And and I think most people are hard on themselves. And so it's like convincing your mind, no, you know what, I, I, I deserve to be successful. Right. And, you know, you've had a lot of ups and downs in the, your radio career. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, it's same for you. It's just like telling yourself, no, I have a voice and people want to hear me. And, you know, even though some things have ended and some things have started, it, still you're still relevant you're still significant and you still have something to contribute i call it the uh, fifty thousand foot view and uh let me explain what i mean by that because now that you see 
I've been around the planet long enough and I've had ups and downs of, uh, but I can see how in the greater scheme of things, it has all been put together. First of all, let me tell you that if, if you have a passion for something, do not poo poo your passion, <laughs> poo poo your passion, make sure that you follow through with your passion because that's where your energy comes from. And your energy is what will in, in excite other people to follow you and to be with you. And what I call a 50,000 foot view, when I started working in radio, uh, I was 42. And I'm now a little older than that. So this was about 20 years ago. And I've seen, because when you're, when you're on the ground level and you're walking through the trees, all you get to see is the tree ahead of you and the tree behind you. And uh, you don't really know. You think you're going in the right direction, but you're not 100% sure. Now, if you pull back to the 50,000-foot view, you can see the path that you're on and where you're going. And uh, because we don't get to have that view, we need to create that view. Yeah. We need to believe that where we're going is where we need to be as long as you have integrity and you have the desire to do the right thing by yourself and with other people and you are doing something of a positive nature, at least in my opinion, that will get you to where you're going because I've had... I. <laughs> the other day i i this is a closely guarded secret that my family doesn't even know i oh, wow. at one time was spending fifteen hundred dollars a week to be on the radio wow and i was doing that because i felt so strongly and if you go back to listen to some of the older um uh, my independence report which is actually from positive talk back in 2003, 2004, there are some really quality shows with some really interesting people that have got, that had great things to say. And those messages are timeless. Yeah. And, and, timeless. and, and they're, they're just as relevant today as they were back then. Uh, but so it's a 50,000 foot view and, and with the passion and you've got that as well, you know, where you're going, you can't see it cause you can only see the tree ahead of you, but you know that once you get past that tree and past the next one, eventually you're going to get to the meadow where it's going to be sunny and it's going to be bright and it's going to be successful and it's going to be exactly what you want. And that's the energy that you bring to what you're doing. Okay. I'll get off my soapbox now. No, no, that's so true. It's so true. And I think, you know, so often we get so stuck in the, you can't see that far ahead. Right. And so it's like, okay, yeah, you can't, yeah, it's, it's so far to the top of that mountain, but let's just concentrate on getting to that next tree or that next rock or that, you know, give yourself some room there and make those goals that are attainable so that you can, you can keep going on that journey. Cause sometimes when you look at that big giant mountain, you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm ever going to get there. Right. But if you, if you, if you can kind of break it up, which is what you do, Kevin. Right. And right. so, yeah. And yeah. what, and what you do, because when you were at the beginning, at, at, <laughs> at the starting line of a 50 mile marathon run, I still don't know how you do that. Uh, at the starting line, you're going, I've got 50 miles to do. Well, you can't do 50 miles all at once. You do it one step at a time. Yes, exactly. One step at a time. Yeah, it's funny. I, so I coach cross country um, in the fall. I've coached uh, my poor kids. Like, <laughs> <laughs> My son is going to be in high school next year, so he'll actually have a different coach. He'll probably be thrilled. But uh, yeah, you know, and so that's what we t teach the kids too. And it, I love coaching kids because uh, you, you always get kind of a mix. And so I coach for, I coach for their school. And so fourth through eighth graders. And so some of the kids come in and they've literally sat on their couch all summer and their parent just signed them up for cross country and they don't actually want to be there and they're super out of shape. And then you have the other kiddos that are like amazing athletes and they're doing cross country because it just helps their other sports. And so it's quite a combination, right? So you got to train them all. And I just love, you know, those, the, you know, the couch, kids to running they are it's so great because kids are able to kind of 
grasp it a lot faster than adults are and kind of get over that and go, okay, you know what? And I'll say, okay, let's, you and I, we're going to race to that next spot. And then we race to the next spot. And it's like just getting them to, to, to pick those small goals. And kids are great at that. They can go, okay, yeah, I can do that. No, I can't run a whole mile, but I'm going to be able to do that. And then once you do run the mile, they're like, wow, I did that. And kids are also great at, at going kind of giving them permission, themselves permission to say, wow, I accomplished that. Where we as adults often go, okay, I ran that mile, but you know what? I walked part of it and I'm actually, I'm like about to die and I, you know, I could, I can't do it, but I did it, but I don't know how, right? Like, so adults will kind of, where a kid will go, oh my gosh, I finished it. Right. You know, and so, and, and, and so I, it's so amazing to me to just kind of see that. And you can learn so much from children of how to just really kind of be, you know, excited and, and jump into something. I'll tell you, uh, Lisa, by the way, we're talking with Lisa Fairman. She is the owner of Girl Power Sport, which is located in Seattle, Washington. If you're looking for some apparel, you can go to girlpowersport.com. Is that right? Yep, that's right. And we, we do um, children's sizes, 4 through 12. Um, we have kind of a generous fit, and it's really great prints. Everything is made in Washington State by women who are passionate about encouraging goal-driven and active kids. And I'll, te- and I'll tell you, but you being a coach, you'll recognize this, is that there are kids who you have coached who will value um, what you taught them and and the morals and the and the positive attitude that you bring to it for their entire lives. My little league my little league baseball coach, who has been gone for a long time now, had a huge impact in my life. So I applaud you for coaching. That's just awesome. Thank you. You know, I really encourage everyone out there that's just the best way to like get in shape and kind of push yourself is get out there and help coach kids. It, it's funny. I, I, so I coached soccer also. And so this last season, I don't know, it's like all the kids, they were just like really hard to corral and they were like kind of crazy and just like, okay, focus, you know? And, and uh, I was at the gym one day and this lady, I was on a spin bike in a spin class and she said, after the class, she's like, wait a minute. She's like, I think I know who you are. She's like, do you coach girls soccer? And I'm like, oh yeah, I do. And she's like, oh yeah, I see you. And, and it's I walk my dog every day when you're practicing. And I'm thinking, oh no, she probably hears me yelling at the girls. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, you know what? She's like, you're a really good coach. She's like, those girls love you. I'm like, really? <laughs> and they're all <laughs> like, you know, this preteen teenager the age and so i i was like oh wow and she's like yeah no they really look up to you it's so awesome that you do that and she wasn't a mom or you know she wasn't part of the team or anything like that but she just was somebody walking by and so i think those are those little things where you go oh i can make a difference and so and even in all aspects of you know your life you never know who's listening who will be touched by it or and so it's it's great to serve others and that was that was one of the reasons why I continue to do this because they're listening to people like you. There are people that will listen to this podcast and they will go, "She is an extraordinary human being, but I can do that too. I can really if I put my nose to the grindstone and I really work at it and uh, I can follow my passion and that's that it's extraordinary what you you can do just by being who you are. You know, and it's funny because it's like I so I don't feel like I'm extraordinary at all. And and so that's the point, right? It's that it's just finding that voice inside yourself and and listening, really listening. And I think, you know, a lot of your podcast, Kevin, it's all about kind of listening to that inner voice and uh, whether that voice, you know, can help you financially with your 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 jobs or with finding spirituality or finding peace if you can listen to that voice, it, it, it knows, you know, I feel like most of the time we know in ourselves what to do. It's just that we don't stop to listen. We don't appreciate that voice that we hear. So we stop listening to it or we poo poo it. And, you know, then the one thing that, that just drives me absolutely crazy is that when somebody who does something extraordinarily well, they, they downplay 
who they are by saying, oh, that's just easy for me. I can do that. That's just easy for me. Well, it might be easy for you, but it, it is extraordinary what you can do and how, how you can help others learn how to do the same thing. Um, yeah. there are, there's tons of examples of, of people like that, you being one of them. And that's the energy that you bring to this podcast, to your life, to your, I, I don't know. Let's see, you're, you're, you are an entrepreneur. You are a mother of four. You've got a husband to take care of. You've got a house to take care of. You've got a dog. You coach in the fall and you coach in the spring. When do you sleep? And you're a marathon runner, by the way. <laughs> I know. You know, <laughs> I, I'm i not good at sitting still. Really. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> Cause, cause but, I, but yeah, you know, I, you got to... You, you have to follow your passions, right? And so I just, I feel, um, I think maybe partially because I didn't get to do a lot of sports as a kid, that it's really fun for me to be kind of involved with the youth. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's like anybody else. You got to like do what, do what you love. If you do what you love, you'll get to do what you want. Yeah. Because that's kind of the same thing. So it's kind of the same thing. So uh, Lisa Fairman has been our guest. She is going to be a regular part or has been and will be. But we wanted to put this up because I wanted to really explain to folks why, number one, why she's on the podcast and what value she brings to the podcast because she brings tons of value to it. And uh, um, and the, we're going to continue to do this on an ongoing basis. And you're going to be what I, I'm term. I've got a new term. It's called you're going to be a regular. It's kind of like you're going to come to the bar every now and again and I get to serve you drinks. How about that? That sounds fabulous, Kevin. Thank you so much. And uh, is there anything that you'd like to add to and say to our audience that uh, we haven't already talked about? Yeah, so just, you know, with all that's going on in the world, just slow down and and listen to your voice inside and and just believe in yourself and don't beat yourself up so much and 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 just know that there there is a community for you and that we all are cheering you on. That is just sensational. And by the way, it's going to take some time, but we will all get through this and uh, this uh, coronavirus and, and stuff and, and staying at home. And But take care of yourself because the, the person that you may be protecting is somebody like Lisa or somebody like me. Uh, because if I get sick, I'm, I know what's going to happen to me. So, um, I, but if you, uh, um, have anything that you'd like to say, you can, you can drop us a line on, uh, at, uh, my independent report and, uh, and, and talk to us and give us a comment, give us a like, that would be, that would be just wonderful. Uh, if you'd like to do that, Lisa, it's been a pleasure. Uh, and it's uh, every time I talk to you, I, I, you uplift my soul. Likewise, Kevin. Likewise. Thank you. So you have a, yourself a great day. It's been great fun talking to you, and uh, and we'll see you next time on My Independence Report. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.